punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hello there and welcome to Nesson Bruins Podcast, Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined once again and as always by my annoying email sound. And Logan Mullen and Lauren Campbell, also of Nesson.com fame. Guys, how you doing? Doing great. Lovely. Awesome. Good to hear. Uh, so this is the Nesson Bruins podcast, but we probably won't do a ton of Bruins today just because what are we supposed to do? They've clinched the playoffs. Um, it's still very much up in the air as to who they will play in the first round. The East Division is set. It'll either be uh, the Islanders, Capitals, or Penguins. And all three of those are still very much in play. So... Uh, a lot to, to be solved in the in the, the final week of the season, just not in, in terms of the Bruins' playoff status. Uh, one team that they could face, though, is the Washington Capitals. Um, I guess, you know, well, I should say we're going to get into our, our, our postseason or end-of-season awards uh, at some point in this, but we'll start off with, like, a current event type of deal with, uh, like I said, with the Capitals. Tom Wilson back at it again, uh, trying to fight everybody. Uh, did not sit very well. With the, or the uh, New York Rangers, um, did not sit well with the hockey world uh, for his actions Monday night um, wow. at Madison Square Garden. He somehow escapes with just a fine, not a suspension, despite his his recent history. Um, was that the right call? What do you guys think? I I don't think it's a right call because at this point he's technically now a repeat offender again. So I think it warranted much more than a fine. And I don't know what else this guy has to do, who else he has to seriously hurt in order for him to get suspended, you know, more than seven to 10 games. The fact that they basically admit it, I mean, there's the Emily Kaplan report that the reason that they didn't suspend him for what he did to Panarin, which was grab him by the hair and body slam him, was because technically that does fall under the umbrella of just wrestling, which is what happens all the time. But in a way it kind of underscores the whole way that the NHL has approached the Tom Wilson situation, which is think of how many games he would have been suspended if Panarin's head snapped back a few more inches and hit the ice. And you're talking like knocked out cold head split open, that whole thing. Then you better bet he's getting a ton of uh, time on the, you know, on the band list, if you will. Um, so the fact that they're punishing the result instead of the behavior tells you all you need to know about what, with the way they're approaching Tom Wilson. And I've felt this way for a long time, but like this will never stop until he ends somebody's career. Like the NHL has made clear that they're not going to do anything to really set him aside for a long time that a ban is like a lifetime ban is just never going to happen um and, and so it's going to be until he ends somebody's career and it could have happened monday night with panarin but it, it didn't fortunately but that that's what it's going to take so this is because it's tom wilson if they had suspended him for anywhere from five to 10 games. I, I don't think I would have cared because at a certain point, you know, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, but like, I kind of also get why he didn't get suspended now that it's two days or whatever in the rear view where it was. Yes. Technically like 
the worst thing would have come out of what was a scrum with him responding or retaliating against a guy who did technically jump on his back. So like, I don't want to get in the business of defending Tom Wilson because that's bad business. And it, it just, it was what it was, but like, it's what led to that part that I had more of an issue with. And, you know, again, it's post Wessel scrum. Like it was, it was certainly, this is saying a lot about Tom Wilson. It was far from the worst thing Tom Wilson has done on the ice as a professional hockey player. So in that regard, I, I kind of get it. I, I expected and would have had no problem with him getting suspended just on reputation alone. Um, but that, you know, that wasn't the case. And so it's, it's tough for the NHL that there's nothing in between like the maximum fine and whatever suspension it was because finding a guy $5,000 for as somebody within the, the league pointed out in a story on the athletic today is the same amount of money, or the same amount of fine that Henrik Lundqvist got for squirting Sidney Crosby with a water bottle. So the optics are not great in this entire thing. And I don't think that helped the NHL at all. But again, you want to talk about stupid games and stupid prizes when you have such a you know, relatively undefined discipline system you're going to run into, you know, there's going to be gray area, especially in a sport as physical and as fast as hockey. So tough spot for them to be in, but you kind of reap what you sow at a certain point too. If Tom Wilson's name is coming across George Peros' desk, I think the last thing that should be thought about is a fine. Like there are some guys where your reputation precedes you so much that it's like, you know, if Tom Wilson's doing anything that warrants some sort of look by the NHL like it, it should be a suspension like that's just where he's at and I again that that's largely the product of the fact that the NHL doesn't have a clearly defined disciplinary system that's why everyone's always pissed off regardless of what the discipline is is because there's no metric for anything um and even the the systems and guidelines that they do have are just ridiculous like the fact that with the Brandon Carlo thing Wilson at that point wasn't considered a repeat offender like that's that's absurd. There's so many things wrong with it. And so long as you have George Peros, a noted enforcer himself, uh, running the show, which is like a weird conflict of interest in its own right. Like, it's just, it's never going to change. But like, what's the, I kind of like the idea of an enforcer doing that job though. But if you can do it the right way and if there's consistency, I mean. I but think that's the thing. There's just never going to be consistency. So, but yeah. I think there's, I mean. I feel like Tom Wilson has lost any benefit of the doubt, no matter what he does. And I think Logan said it best. If his name's coming across your desk, it, it warrants a suspension. But, you know, I think I, I do like the idea that there's a, a former enforcer kind of overseeing that because that's what he did in the league, right? So you would think he would have at least some sort of brain cells to be on there and be like, okay, wait, you should suspend him because now he's going, he's, he's hurting people's, like he's injuring people intentionally. He's trying to hurt people, but the, the lack of consistency is so, I don't know if it's bizarre to me or if it's just like mind boggling to me in a way that I just, I can't wrap my head around it because like you said, Henrik Lundqvist got fined the same amount. Um, David Backus got suspended a couple of years ago for never, never once being suspended in his career. So there's just zero consistency across the board, but I just feel like Tom Wilson, is, if his name pops up, he has to be suspended, even if it's just for one game. No, that's fair. I, I, it's a, I, it's like an intentionally vague 
situation, I think. And that works to the NHL's benefit sometimes probably where there's, when there's no hard and fast rule, it doesn't, you're not as, you don't have to stick to, it at least allows for some gray area, but the problem is it's, it's blown up in their face over the last 10 years where there's just too much gray area going the other way. So not ideal. Um, the Rangers certainly aren't happy. And by the time this gets out, we're pretty much as soon as this podcast comes out, it'll be dated. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to Wednesday night uh, when the two teams play again at MSG. Uh, that'll come amid a just chaotic 24 hours for the Rangers who on Tuesday night uh, released a statement on their team social media accounts calling for George Peros's head, um, calling for him to be fired. Uh, what did you guys think of that before we get into our award stuff? What did you think of the statement? Because I have, I have takes on that as well. Lauren, why don't you start? I mean, it was, it was a heck of a statement to say the least. Um, I think it was unexpected too, because I mean, you don't really see teams release statements on disciplinary actions or lack thereof. Um, I, I think they, the Rangers have every right to be angry, even though they're not contending for the playoffs, they still lose their star forward for the rest of the season while Tom Wilson goes and continues to play. Um, I feel like the wording when you're saying like acts of violence, I think it's, um, it's a lot like, yes, Tom Wilson is a, is a dangerous player. Um, but they really made it seem like he went on the ice and took the blade off his skate and stabbed somebody and just kind of went around and just like went on some stabbing spree when that certainly wasn't the case. But I mean, they felt they had to make some sort of statement to express their, their anger and their disdain with the league. I think the wording could have been a little better, but it certainly caught me by surprise. Just like I said, we don't see that very often, if at all. It comes across better if it's not written. That was my thing is like, if you have, you know, Jeff Gordon, for example, or John Davidson, neither of them Which are we'll in the organization to. anymore. <laughs> RIP. Uh, yeah, right. Pour one out. Uh, if one of them goes on the record and, you know, calls up Larry Brooks and says, I want to do an exclusive interview interview and tear the ever-loving crap out of George Paris in the NHL, that sounds better when it's spoken verbally. When you put it in a statement with the team letterhead, it just kind of rings a little bit differently. And, you know, the, the Rangers employed Sean Avery for a long time. Like the Rangers are in a team with an unblemished history. Um, and so it, what you're starting to do is, you know, anytime my, my dad always said to me, be careful about what you put in writing. Right. Because like, then you can always trace it. It's the same thing with going on the record, but like, now the Rangers, anytime somebody does something stupid from the Rangers, because it's going to happen, it happens to all 31 NHL teams, like stuff happens. People are going to go back and look at that and be like, you know, you got on your pedestal and did your whole, you know, sanctimonious, holier than now, this is violent, blah, 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 blah. For one, that's what's going to get fighting completely eradicated from the game, uh, for better or for worse. And two, you're going to look like an ass if somebody on your team ends up doing something stupid, especially in the not-too-distant future, perhaps as soon as tonight. Mike? I done you. That's my point, is like, you just neutered the team for yeah. Wednesday night. And we'll see. I mean, it could be a complete gong show anyway. Uh I, I thought that was like a tacit admission, like we're not going to fight back. But then you start doing a little bit more digging or you start, well, I guess you, nobody dug, but 
just on Wednesday afternoon, it comes out that the Rangers are firing Gordon and Davidson. So this came from James Dolan. Like James Dolan didn't agree with the statement, Gordon and Davidson. Yeah. And they, according to Darren Drager, they were fired for on ice performance or off ice, depending on however you characterize it when you're talking about management. But I'm not buying that. It's just because they could have, if that was the case, they could have fired Gordon Davidson and Quinn if they wanted to in a week. And then I still don't agree with it because they've had injuries. It's a pretty good roster. But at least like a week from now, when the season's over, you're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, performance related. Instead, they just blow it up right, you know, a day after putting out the statement that they apparently didn't agree with. So it certainly comes across that, the, you know, that James Dolan did not like it, not like the pushback and fired both of them. Um, that's not great. Uh, and I just, I, I thought the, I, I thought the statement was relatively Mickey Mouse. Like, I just, I don't know. It seemed like that's why, I think Logan made good points in terms of it. This will come back to bite them at some point. And it just read too much like a reactive, you know, thing. Like I'm not trying to downplay our Timmy Panarin's injury, but that's the kind of statement you, you know, you put out there when somebody's career is ended or is, has their neck, neck broken or something like that. Like that's when you save that bullet. Like it's just, it rings a little hollow in my opinion. And like I said, it kind of, if the Rangers try to goon it up Wednesday night, that's again, it's a bad look because it's just going to come back to that. But it makes me think that they might goon it up on Wednesday night because I don't think that that was speaking for anyone other than a handful of people at most. So, yeah, well, that's, that's my thing is I think it would have been more impactful if like, this has been a draw I've been beating on Twitter to like halfway kidding, but like they have one of the most prolific fighters in the AHL right now playing for Hartford on a two-way deal in Mason Geertsen. And it's like, well, to me, the only thing that should have been coming from the Rangers channel last night, if they wanted to be making a statement was we were called Mason Geertsen from Hartford. Um, but instead like, okay, maybe they go out and tonight go out tonight and it's Brett Howden or whoever fights somebody. Um, you know, they traded Brendan Lemieux. Like they really don't have many fighters in the first place. Um, I think that's more impactful than having somebody, whether it's James Dolan or whoever else, drafting up some statement that's just going to get you made fun of all the time. Like, I, I respect it from the perspective of, like, I didn't necessarily disagree with some parts of what they were saying. Like, I don't think George Peros is fit to do his job. But, like, again, putting that in writing and leaving that out there is just going to get them ridiculed for a long time. And that it's just like it's on Rangers letterhead, like it's out there. Like, don't take for granted that you're one of 31 of these entities. Like, that is that's a bell you can't unring when you ring it. Like, just, and put your name on it. Like, that's yeah. my thing, too, is whoever was responsible for that has to be high enough ranking that they have access to the team Twitter accounts. Like, if it was Dolan, Dolan should have put his name on it. Like, because now there's this whole thing because there were chuckleheads and fired Gordon and Davidson today that everyone thinks that has, you know, they weren't being good soldiers or whatever and going along with what was happening on Twitter. Like that, I don't know. They just created a mess. They, they dug themselves into this. They really did. And if you, by not putting like whose name it is, you're representing the entire Rangers organization, the players, the coaches, the staff, literally everybody. And, you know, if then they come out and they fire, they're like, oh, that has nothing to do with the statement. Then why fire them at quite literally the worst possible time? Like, even if it had nothing to do with it right now, it 
probably accelerated the process. I don't know, but it just seems like it's a really, really big mess right now. And it's been a wild 24 hours or so for the Rangers. And thank God their season's over this week or early next week, because I feel like they can't, they can't dig themselves into any bigger of a hole. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be 48 hours of bad optics from the Paro, the Paros decision. I mean, to the Wilson play itself to whatever happens Wednesday night. And I, I don't think it's over. Like, I think Wednesday has a chance to get pretty ugly. And if somebody gets hurt, then just add it to the list. So I don't a, think it's a coincidence that Ovechkin's lower body injury creep back up tonight. True. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get into uh, awards. Uh, this will be our last episode before the regular season ends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause the regular season ends next Tuesday. So we'll be on to the playoffs as, as we mentioned, the Bruins have made the playoffs. So this is our last chance to really kind of kick around uh, awards Logan's idea, blame him. Um, let's just, we'll run through our uh, our picks, our ballots. Uh, starting with Hart Trophy MVP, I think this one's pretty obvious, but let's go through it anyway. Logan, who do you got? I have McDavid. I mean, he's he's putting up point totals that most guys would, like, love to get in an 82-game season, no less a 56-game one. I, like, to a degree, kind of understand the interest in Austin Matthews, but, like, McDavid is so far and away more valuable to his team that it's just, I don't know. It's a no brainer for me. Yeah, me too. I, I think Connor McDavid is the the only choice. I feel like there's really nobody else that comes in second and it's just not a close race. I think this is McDavid's award through and through. Yeah, it's McDavid. I, I wrote this in something that we'll have on Nesson.com coming up um, soon with our, our award, awards pick, which I guess is rendered moot by this conversation but um he's putting up numbers that like i haven't seen since gretzky yager lemieux of like the early to mid 90s when it was a completely different game i mean it's just absurd what he's doing right now so they're a playoff team with him they are garbage without him true value is unquestionable i don't think there's is he like is he gonna be unanimous no, I think there's enough Toronto people that would vote for Matthews. That's a good point. Um, all right, uh, moving on to Norris, best defenseman. Lauren, who you got? Oh, for Norris, I'm going with Adam Fox. Um, I just think he's had a in, a in a messy 24 hours for the Rangers. I think that he's kind of really stood out. I, I kind of have it between him and um, Victor Hedman, but I think Adam Fox kind of takes the takes the cake there 47 points 51 games he's just he's doing everything he can for the rangers yeah i went with adam fox too i think after this is where we might start to diverge a little bit but like i'm just tired of i'm glad that roman yossi won it last year because like you know i think john carlson winning it would have set a bad precedent and the reason i like adam fox is because he can actually move the puck and score but he's also a reliable defensive player um so that was kind of the the main draw for me and he, you know he's he doesn't play sheltered minutes or anything too and half of his zone starts are in the defensive zone so like you know he's not just a pure puck mover so he gets my vote yeah i also said fox i don't think fox is gonna win i think it's gonna be headman um that's what the betting odds say at least uh but headman just feels like there's more help down there for him it's just you know it whereas Fox in New York has been, you know, to Logan's point, I mentioned that in the, in our piece, the, the, the uh, D zone starts are way up ice time across the boards way up averaging like six more minutes per night than he was last year. 
he is certainly taking the next step and he could he quarterback a power play can move the puck. He's pretty good in his own zone. Um, this is also kind of skewed offensive a little bit more in years past too. Um, so make it a sweep as I did not expect that, but here we are. Um, all right, moving on Selkie trophy. This is always a difficult one. You know, how do you really define the best two way forward in the, in the league? Um, we'll try Logan. Who do you got? I went with Valeri Nishushkin with the Colorado Avalanche, who is a winger. That would be bucking quite the trend. And he's only a modest offensive player, but he's one of the most he, – he drives play very well. Like, he's very – the analytics favor him quite well. Um, and he's a pretty sound defensive player. Has 20 points this season. Um, you know, kind of a middle six type of guy. But if you're looking for somebody that actually, you know, meets right in the middle, right at the, you know, still puts up offensive number, but is a very good defensive player. That's who I ended up going with. Um, I'm going with Alexander Barkov from the Florida Panthers. Um, I think the Panthers have done really good things this season, but he's played important minutes for the Panthers and kind of helped them get to where they are today. So I'm going to go with him. When in doubt, Pencil and Patrice Bergeron, uh, a bit of a homer pick. I'm sure people will think of it, but like, I look at it this way, and I have no shame admitting this. The Selkie, more than any other trophy, in my opinion, you need to watch a lot of that player. And, I mean, by nature, I just watch Patrice Bergeron more than any other player uh, in the entire league. Like, when he's on the ice, I'm watching, you know, him play hockey and, and enjoying it. And I, I still think, is he the same player he was five years ago? Probably not. But, like, I mean, he's a – basically a point per game player. Um, what did I, I made a really good point. I thought, um, <laughs> nice humble brag there that you could. <laughs> oh, his, uh, do we still like our, our, uh, possession stats still a thing that people care about? Like <laughs> I, I care about them within reason. It's, a, it's like, it just doesn't feel like it's as big as it was back when I was covering the team on a full team, a full-time basis. That being said, like his Corsi and Fenwick relative stats are by far the highest of his career. I think a lot of that is he's getting a lot more offensive zone time than he has in years past. Like they, they use them differently now, where it was like in the past, maybe it's going out and shutting down the other team's opposing top line. Now it's they're the top line. Bruce Cassidy rolls out there when they need to score, but you know, the offensive game is still ridiculous and the defensive game really hasn't lost a whole lot. So, you know, he's kind of due to win again. So, Give me Bergeron. I feel like there's you can never go wrong with that. Like I said, he's a guy I see more often than any other. So, um, it's good. A good, uh, a good mix there. <laughs> We're getting away from groupthink there. Uh, let's move to to the Vesna top goalie in the league. Lauren, who do you got? So I think this was Tuka's award until he got hurt. So um, I'm going to go with Andre Vasilevsky, Tampa Bay Lightning. I kind of think it's an obvious choice, but what's 38 and two 38 and one just unreal this season 929 save percentage so I think it's got to go to him I was going to go with Vasilevsky and as I kept trying to build a case for him I kept coming back to Semyon Varlamov so that's who I end up going with I, you know you talk about possession stats Mike like one thing that I almost never use unless it's going to supplement my argument is goals against average uh, and the only person who has played more than 22 games and has a better goals against average than Barlamov is Philip Grubauer, who's also right, will probably pop up in second or third on some ballots. Um, 
but he's played the eighth most of any goalie and he has one of the best save percentages of any, or he has the best save percentage, 930 of anyone that's played more than 22 games. So, uh, you know, it was supposed to be Ilya Sorokin's year. Like they thought Varlamov was, it was going to be like an even split. And then he was just playing so well that he basically commandeered the spot. So I'm going to go off the beaten path a little bit and go with Varlamov. I got Vasilevsky too. Um, it, I actually almost did the same thing you did, Logan, where I start, I, I wrote down Vasilevsky and then I started looking into the numbers and Varlamov was there. Like that was – I even like Hellebuck, like I know like the numbers, like the season hasn't been good, but like I'm just not such a bad like, – he's he's been peppered with shots. It's insane. Yeah. It was almost a sympathy vote there. Um, Vasilevsky is helped by the system, I think, and helped by a great team, but – I just think he's been consistently the, the number one goalie from pillar to post, you know, starts the season to end. So, you know, I, I, this, this is a, this is one where I don't have a strong opinion one way or another. If any one of like a handful of guys want, I do not think it would be an injustice. So um, let's see, moving down our list here. Oh, Calder trophy, rookie of the year. Uh, Logan, who you got? So I did Kaprizov. I tried to make the case for Robertson, but I was going to say you changed your pick. I did. Yeah. So I originally went with Robertson and then I looked at, um, you know, some possession numbers and whatnot. He plays some pretty sheltered minutes and he gets like two thirds of his zone starts are in the offensive zone. Kaprizov is still, what's he at? 58%. Um, So not that bad. The reason I wanted to try and go with Robertson was because there's part of me that's skeptical calling a guy a rookie even though he's an nhl rookie when he's 24 and had been playing in the khl for a few years but the numbers are similar and kaprizov has made a objectively bad it seemed like minnesota wild team very good like he has been a huge part of that the stars for reasons partially beyond their control have underachieved and the numbers are similar so that was how i landed on kaprizov 24 is not 28 by the way but that's no it's it's not but like robertson's 21 and and, you know right out of playing amateur so fine lauren yeah i'm also going with kaprizov i too tried to make a case for robertson but i mean kaprizov has 23 goals he's got he leads the rookies in points it's it's i don't want to call it a runaway but i feel like it's it's very close to being a, a runaway for kaprizov this year I uh, I looked at the odds. It is a runaway. Uh, it's Kaprizov, at least going by the odds. Um, and yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. He's been the best player on a team that's going to go to the playoffs. That was basically even money in terms of playoff odds at the se- at season's start. So it certainly was no guarantee that they were going to be playing um, deep into the to the summer. So uh, yeah, make that a sweep as well. So I, that one I really don't care about. The Calder can. Last year was more entertaining because it was McCarr and Hughes, and that was like a, a much yes, true. Split. Yeah, it's like it feels like every other year you're going to get that, where one year it's really, really good, and the next year it's like whatever. And then, you know, from there, who knows? So, uh, Jack Adams, coach of the year. Uh, Lauren, who you got? Uh, Joel Quenville. Um, really like the Panthers team this year. They I feel like I don't think I had them in the playoffs or anything like that. I think I had them kind of at the bottom of their division, but. Um, I like what they've done. I think, um, I mean, I was really stuck between him and Rod Brindamore, but I, I have to give it to Quinville. No, I did Dean Edison because I did rip the wild for being uninteresting for a while. And like, that was a team that I thought was going to be very bad. And not only have they been good and have a legitimate shot at 
winning a division that also includes the Colorado Avalanche and Vegas Golden Knights, but he's managed to get stuff out of players who were pretty close to becoming castoffs. Like he's turned Joel Erickson Eck into a great player. He's done the same thing with Jordan Greenway, like guys that look like Kevin Fiala, like guys who look like they were going to just ride off into obscurity and be bust. Like he found a way to get them to, turn a corner I guess and they've become a significantly better team for it like this is obviously the vision that Bill Guerin had in mind I got Rod Brindamore um Carolina I did it I don't know like Carolina was supposed to be good I don't know if anybody expected to be this good where they're I mean they've been arguably the NHL's best team um you know that division is is what it is but they've got Florida Tampa Nashville and Dallas those first three teams or the first two teams are going to the playoffs. The, the second two are battling for a spot and Dallas, you know, Nashville and Dallas are battling for that fourth spot, you know, Dallas Stanley cup final last year, Carolina went 22, four and four against those teams this year. So, you know, like I, like I wrote, somebody deserves credit for that. You know, it's a team building thing as well, but Brindamore, I think, I do think Brindamore is like one of the best coaches in the game. He's kind of proved that in the past few years. It's a great time to be entering uh, coaching free agency as well. So, um, I yeah, I think Brendan Moore takes it home. Uh, and finally, uh, Logan, who is your general manager of the year? Bill Zito. So I didn't go with Quenville for coach, but I did go with Bill Zito because it, it was not just the guys that he picked up. Like he he got he took on some cap dumps. Like that's what the Marcus Nudavara deal was. Um, but he also found some guys on the scrap heap a little bit. I mean, Anthony Duclair waited a long time to sign. Uh, he did that trade for Patrick Hornquist, Alex Wenberg, Carter Verhage, like all these guys he managed to pick up and they've all become impactful players. Ratko Gudis too. Like for a while, defense was a huge problem for the Panthers. Um, but the other thing too, is the guys that he didn't end up moving on from like right at the beginning of the year. And shortly before that we had McKenzie Wegar and Keith Yandel on the trade block all the time. Um, but he elected to keep both of those guys and both have become impactful players for the Panthers. So it's just not, it's not for me, it's not only the moves that he did make, but the ones that he didn't make too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, mine's kind of a homer pick, but I'm going with Don Sweeney just for his trade deadline acquisitions. I mean, going out, Taylor Hall, of course, I feel like he kind of revitalized David Krejci, which is what Bruins fans and Krejci has needed for so long now. And also Mike Riley and Curtis Lazar. I feel like they've both kind of cooled off a bit. Riley obviously was hurt, but I feel like that he went out, he's there in win now mode and he got what he felt was the best for, for this team. So it's kind of just basing it off the trade deadline, but, and it's, like I said, it's a bit of a homer pick, but I'm going with Don Sweeney. Uh, yeah. Zito, I wanted to go with, but I feel like once, per, once Logan took him, it's like, eh, this is going to look like I'm copying. Uh, I'm going kind of chalky. I'm going Kyle Dubas, which is funny because there are people calling for his job somewhat <laughs> recently, but Logan, we've had this conversation before about the Leafs. Like what was their big issue? Like entering last season, I think it was defense it's defense and the cap right and like yeah the cap right and he's maneuvered the cap pretty well like they're this is the first time in a while where i've been like i can't really poke a whole lot of holes in the the leafs as they enter the playoffs like they they could go you know they could just fall on their faces because that's kind of what they do but 
I just think this team is better suited to, to go on a deep playoff run. I think he's pushed the right buttons. I thought he had a pretty good trade deadline. It's kind of blown up in his face a little bit, especially recently with Felino getting hurt. But, like, you know, they made some good moves. They've managed the cap. I, I think they, it's a pretty nice job. I think this is a team that's ready to, to go on a, a deep playoff run. Um, I, I do think the, the real answer probably is, uh, you know, Julian Breezebois for – what they've been able to do by circumnavigating the, the salary cap or circumventing the salary cap, excuse me, um, where they've, they found a loophole and they use it. So credit to them. So I think he deserves credit for that as well. But yeah, I think there's a, a lot of different ways you can go with this one because there are a handful of teams that have no business contending that are contending or much better than we expected. I think that's kind of a result of circumstance, but you know, you can't go wrong with any of these. So. Unless maybe you think you can go wrong with mine. I don't know. I'm a doofus. So uh, what's that, Logan? I'm, I'm just trying to think of, like, who who is the antithesis of the GM of the year. Because, um, like, it's not Eiserman, right? Like, the Red Wings knew they were going to. So be- I almost, like, gave Eiserman a, uh, what's the, uh, uh, honorable mention. Honorable like, mention. I, I think they're going in the right direction, yeah. So, And I think the Sweeney one's good, too. Like, I didn't even think of that. It's weird because, like, there were, there were criticisms early in the year or whatever, and just criticisms in the offseason, especially with the way the, the Chara thing played out and all that. But, I mean, if they go to whatever we're calling the next round, like the final four, like, that's in large part because of Sweeney. So, yeah, Cassidy. Cassidy deserves Jack Adams' credit, too. Like, he's ne- I don't think he'll ever get it, but whatever. So, all right. Uh, anything else, guys? That's it for me. Same. Okay, let's get out of here. Uh, it's been the Nesson Bruins Podcast. That's Lauren and Logan. I'm Mike. Uh, thanks for joining us. See you again next week. Later. <laughs>